0: here during this meeting and the fellowship and the uh, sincerity and devotion to the message and to the cause of God that is promoted in this meeting. And of course, we highly esteem Brother Bass, Sister Bass, their family. We love and appreciate them very much, and uh, they've been good friends of ours for Probably more years than either one of us want to acknowledge here today. But uh, we do value their friendship and uh, their walk with God. There are people that uh, are examples to us, uh, not because they set out to be, but just because that they were who they were and the way they lived. And these people are worthy of high honor here today. And we love and appreciate them and to all the ministering brethren that are here today, we appreciate your work and your labor in the gospel. And uh, if the Lord will help me here today, we'll go quickly to the word of the Lord. We certainly appreciated the message last evening. And Brother McKillop did an outstanding job. You know, second, First, and Second Thessalonians were, was written with explicitly uh, trying to denounce the individuals that were teaching there was no resurrection. Overthrowing the faith of some, because if you can eradicate the resurrection, your hope is gone. Praise the Lord. And I appreciate the clear note we heard last evening from Brother McKillum. Good to see them and the folks from Canada here today. And to all the rest of you, we're turning today to 1 Thessalonians for our first reading. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. reading at verse 7. But we were gentle among you even as a nurse, chari- this her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Now let's look Expressly here at verse nine. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Will you remember, brethren, our labor? Would you say that with me our labor? And then he goes on to say, for laboring night and day. I don't see any vacation in there. Laboring night and day to preach the gospel of God unto you. Now just a short ways over in your Bible to First Timothy. And there in the 5th chapter. We'll take our second and final reading from the Word of the Lord. And that will be just 17, verse 17 in the fifth chapter of First Timothy. It is a statement. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially they who labor in the Word and doctrine. Especially they who labor in the Word and doctrine. That labor. Especially those that labor in the Word and doctrine. labor is a word that uh, is demeaning to a lot of people but it is a gospel word that talks about the duties of the apostolic ministry labor labor and I'd like to uh, consider here with you today, and you may not quite get a hold of my subject title at the moment, but hopefully, before we have closed the Bible and walked away here today, you will understand more perfectly about why I entitled this as I do The Exacting Labor of the Gospel. The Exacting Labor. The labor that exacts or pulls from, subtracts from, exerts itself upon the exacting labor of the gospel. The gospel is no light thing. The gospel is no feather. But there is a heavy responsibility and weight. Anytime you have responsibility, it always denotes weight. And there's a, if there's any one responsibility in this world, it's not the presidency. It's not the governorship. But it is the preaching of soul-saving gospel. Praise the Lord. And it has an exacting weight or labor that is with it. So if you would pray with me here today and we'll go to the Word of the Lord. Let's Consider His Word. Would you, Lord, we thank You once again that You would speak to our hearts and our minds, our spirits as only You can do. That You would help us to envision and see the things as they ought to have been seen and known. Lead us in the way that we should go. Direct our feet in the path of righteousness for Your name's sake. And we'll be giving You the praise and the glory forever and ever, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you are seated here today. If we were to make a list, which we will not, but if we were, and were to list 1 through 10 on the sheet, begin to list Um, most popular and most recognized animals of the Bible those that uh, are more affectionately remembered from scripture no doubt in first place would be the lamb possibly sheep and uh, then the list would uh, continue down in amount of popularity or knowledge of uh, listing ram and and the donkey and even the goat would fall into a well-recognized animal of the Bible. But there is one that hardly ever in the listing of men hardly ever receives the first position in men's recollection of animals from the Bible. And that would be that lowly and not highly esteemed bullock or the ox, the oxen. But I'd like to somehow, even if our, you know, sometimes in our uh, setting, our contemporary setting, we sometimes don't see things as distinctly as we ought because of the uh, different in perspectives that sometimes we get from looking at things from our contemporary American, our, you know, our society's perspective, and we sometimes are not able to view them through Old Testament lenses. But I can assure you that if it came time for a Old Testament Jew to list in order of priority in his life and his family's life, that the number one position would no doubt have been the oxen, would have been the bullock that was associated with his family. This animal was the highest esteemed animal among the people of God and among the families of the Jewish units individually because it was of vital importance to them. To help illustrate and help you see how vital that importance is, I've asked a couple of these brethren to help read for me today. I appreciate your help. But in First Samuel chapter 11... In verse 7, Saul makes a very pointed threat to the people of Israel when it was time to go to battle, and he needed somebody to go to battle. He makes a grievous threat that had instant repercussions and impact to the people of Israel. When he wanted to display how serious he was about this situation, he impacted them at where they lived. In 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 7, you read Saul's threat and how he executed that threat. Read, please. And he took a yoke of oxen. Yes, he took a yoke of oxen. He killed them and then cut them into pieces. Them the and he sent them throughout all the coast of Israel to put these slain, quartered, and cut-apart oxen throughout all the coast of Israel. And what happened? Of a yes. Had, Whosoever cometh not out to battle. Yes. So shall it be done to his... Now listen to the threat: So shall it be done to what? His oxen. To his oxen. Yep. To the oxen of your family, yep. to the oxen of each individual family of every man that cometh not out to battle after Saul and Samuel. So shall it be done. Your oxen will be slain. It will die. You will no longer be in possession of an oxen. Look that it said, every man. This is not something that was just owned, you know, scattered throughout Israel, but every family was associated with an oxen. Praise the Lord. And then look at the repercussion that this threat had on these people. And the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord out with one consent. The fear of the Lord came on them and they came out with one consent. When this threat was proposed, they said, we're going to battle. We're going to join in the fight. We're getting behind Saul and we're getting behind Samuel. You know why? Because this animal which was threatened was the survival of the unit of family in Israel. Their livelihood depended on this creature called an oxen. This is the grist mill stone turner. This is the water well pumper. This is a plow puller. This is a wagon toter. This is the one that the children ride on the back from the town to back to the house to bring the market things back that they might live and survive. This is what pulls the wagon through the harvest field after he's pulled the plow full of planting. And if you take the oxen out, it means our family survival is in jeopardy. Therefore, rather than, than to have our oxen killed, we're going to battle. Yes. All right. Right. Yes. All right. I'm telling you, this animal was highly esteemed among the Jews. It was the Jewish John Deere. It was the Hebrew Suburban. It was the ultimate Old Testament ATV. The oxen could rightly say before Hummer was, "I am." because yeah. this is what in essence, fed his family. Yeah. Yeah. This is what put clothes yeah. Yeah. on his family This is what kept the thatching on the roof. Yeah. Yeah. This is what what made the trade possible throughout the land of Israel. This is what put money in the purse. This is what ground up the corn that the oxen pulled to plow the plant and then pulled the wagon to harvest and brought it in. This is what turned the grist meal to grind it. And the female, the species, is where the milk, the butter, and the cheese came from. This is a vital, integral part of the life of a... Hebrew So when Saul threatened to destroy every man's oxen, the fear of the Lord came on them. I mean, if there's something essential to your children eating, it's essential to keeping the survival of your family, when you've threatened that lifeline, you've threatened the survival, and therefore men are going to be moved by the fear of the Lord. Praise the Lord. It was the most. Not only that, it was the most integral part. Not only materialistic things, but it was the integral part of their worship as the sacrifice. The Bible says very plainly, and it makes it very clear. And this is again why that the Jews put such a great value and esteem upon the oxen of their family. This was like a family member almost, or they didn't keep them for pets. This meant, again, something to pull the plow, something to pull the wagon, something to grind the corn, something to pump the water, something to make the trips to distant locations and bring back needed things to their family. This is what made commerce possible in the kingdom. And Proverbs 14 and 4 clearly and distinctly tells us this fact. Yes? Where no oxen are. Where no oxen are The crib isn't now the word clean there doesn't talk it's not talking about being swept and polished. It's talking about being empty. Where there are no oxen, the crib is just empty. There's nothing in the crib but there's not an oxen. Without an oxen there is no food. Without an oxen there is no surplus. Without an oxen, there is no continuation of survival. But much increase is by what? The strength of the oxen. But much increase. Y'all still with me? Yes, yes, yes. yes, sir. Now I want you to listen to Psalms 144 and 14, that long Psalms 144 and the 14th verse. Because much increase is by the strength of the oxen, and when the people of Israel went to pray, they prayed for priorities they prayed for important things in their life bless my wife bless my children amen bless the, the work of my hands and so forth. but i'm tell you this frequently the prayer of israel was caught up in just this kind of prayer that you hear in 144 and 14 read please that our oxen may be strong to labor oh god would you that's far enough god would you make our oxen strong to labor give our oxen strength Give our oxen vitality. Give her oxen health. Amen. Because as long as I got a strong oxen, I got a strong family. As long as I got a strong ox, Amen, I've got commerce. I've got corn in the crib. I've got cornmeal. I've got water. I've got commerce. I've got money in the pocket. God make our oxen strong to labor. Some of you know where we're headed already, don't you? I mean, they prayed specifically because, again, you're not talking about some little lap dog to pet. We're talking about something that is integral to survival. It's not an option. Oxen was not an option to these people. It was a must and a necessity. That's why Saul's threat carried such weight when he made that threat a matter of fact, that the oxen was the one and only animal that was included specifically in the law of the Sabbath. Man was to cease labor, and it said the ox too. They arrest for him too. It was in there just as the man, so was the ox. The ox was seldom, seldom slain except for sacrificial purposes, because he was much more valuable alive than he was dead. But you know, when people start losing value of things, when they don't put right values on right things, then your life always shows where your value system is. By what you esteem, it always shows up in how you live. And in Isaiah 22 and verse 13, it, this is a folly of some fools. They didn't know how real value was. They didn't know where to put values. To some people, it's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. It's now just live fast and make a pretty corpse. It's just get it while the getting's good. Just indulge yourself to the nth degree and just have it and do what you want to do how you want to do it. They have no value. They don't have values for family. They don't have values for, for brothers and sisters, for wife or for children. They don't have values for church. Those kind of people never have values for religious things. They, they don't have any more value for a Bible than they would a Sears no Roebuck catalog. And no more value for the house of God than a hay barn. Well, praise the Lord. And here in Isaiah 22 and verse 13, you see a little bit glimpse of these folly of these individuals when reading for me, please. And behold, joy and gladness. Joy and gladness is happy party time. Yes. Slaying what? Slaying of oxen. Killing kill the oxen, kill the sheep. Eating flesh. That's far enough. Kill the oxen, kill the sheep. Now Saul threatened them with just that thing. And they said, we'll go to battle before you get our ox. We'll risk our lives before you take the survival of our family. But these folly of these individuals that they just gladly slay the oxen, even put them to death, they mean nothing to us. They're more interested in in beefsteak than they are the strength of an ox. But Israel still on her face saying, God, give our oxen strength to labor. Give our oxen health. Give our oxen Amen vigor and vitality. Praise the Lord. God made provision for that oxen in his law. In Deuteronomy twenty five and verse four, it says what? Thou shalt not muzzle the ox. Don't you muzzle that ox. When he treads out that corn, don't you put a muzzle on him? Yeah. Yeah. Said when you are uh, gr- grinding at the mill, and you put that oxen on that pole, and he is marching round and round in that threshing floor, and treading out the corn, that corn is a result of plow pulling that oxen did. That corn is a result of the times up and down the cornfield that he pulled the plow after that to to keep the weeds at bay. That corn is a result of when harvest time came that an oxen pulled a wagon with, with a bending back and sinew that was straining to pull the weight of that corn into that crib. And he says when you start treading out the corn don't you put a muzzle on that ox. If he wants to Stop just a moment and have a little bite from what he helped gather from the field. If he takes a small percentage, amen, for his life and his sustenance, amen, you say, God bless my ox. But don't you put a muzzle on him because you wouldn't have any corn if there hadn't been an ox. And you wouldn't have the survival on the threshing floor. The bounty's there because of the bullock that helped get it there. Come on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Praise the Lord. And of course you find in the New Testament, I had to get ahead of myself, but you find New Testament representation that in 1 Corinthians 9 and 9 and 1 Timothy five eighteen about that same spiritual connotation about paying tithes. Well, praise the Lord everybody. You ought to be so so glad, so happy, amen, feeling so blessed to take one-tenth of your your income, amen, seal it up in an envelope, amen, put it in that box or however it's done around here, amen, and say, God, I'm thankful for the bounty that you've given me in my life. And I realize that I am not going to muzzle the ox that treadeth out. To corn for the workman is worthy of his hire and you didn't hire him god did Amen. that's getting ahead of me i want to save all that for a little bit later here genesis 2 or 12 16 i want to read a few select verses that you could read many many such verses of the ones that i have selected to see an association associations are important in the Bible when when God groups things and when he multiply uh, groups things over and over again pay attention to the groupings as he does them Genesis 12 and verse 16 yes and he had sheep sheep. everybody say sheep Sheep. And and oxen everybody say oxen now go to twenty and fourteen. You see sheep and in the same setting, oxen, twenty fourteen. And Abimelech took sheep. And he took sheep and oxen. and oxen. Good enough. Amen. Twenty-one, twenty-seven. These are just a few instances in the Bible where that when you see sheep, you see oxen. And when you see oxen, you see sheep. They're usually always in a relationship they're usually always in the included uh, listing when they're listed this way 21 27 took sheep, took sheep and oxen 34 28 again just another just so you get the ideal here where well, you see sheep you see oxen everybody say oxen, oxen. amen everybody say sheep Sheep and oxen. Sheep, many times oxens, only separated by the small comma, are the and, which means plus. Amen. Plus sheep. Plus the oxen. Oxen plus the sheep. Praise the Lord. You spot, seldom see in these groupings where they're listed by themselves, but they're always in multiples of sheep and oxen. Thirty-four, twenty-eight. They took their sheep. Yes. And their oxen. Praise the Lord. This is the way it's listed over and over and over in the Bible. You said, well, uh, the donkey. No, the donkey is never associated that way. You don't see sheep and donkey. No, no, no. Matter of fact, you can't even see oxen and donkey. Matter of fact, there is a clear division between them, amen, where it says in Deuteronomy that you are not even to plow with an ox and an ass together. Praise the Lord. I've heard a lot of people talk about why that's so and about how that one's stronger, than the other one, one's taller than the other and all that. The simple answer to why you don't do it is one's clean, the other one's unclean. Yes, oh. yes, oh. yeah. Praise the Lord. You don't yoke them together. Right. Now there were exotic animals, a beast of burdens that were more exotic and And uh, might have had features that people applauded over the oxen, such as the Egyptian. The Egyptian wasn't too much on oxen, but they, they liked their camels. Leviticus 11 and verse 4 tells you what God thinks about the camel opposed to the oxen. Leviticus 11 and 4, did I give that to you? Read, please. Not eat of. These shall you not eat of again because of the uncleanness associated with them. Those that chew the cud, those that, chew the cud. Them that divide the hoof, those that divide the hoof. As, the camel. as the camel. Now, here he puts the camel into this unclean setting. This is an exotic beast of burden for the Egyptian. This is his prize. Beast, this is the one the Egyptians would put in number one, but God says it is unclean. There are things that are more exotic, more charismatic looking than the old uh, sinew bulging oxen. Praise the Lord. But when it came down to the Jew, it wasn't the camel, it wasn't the exotic creature of the Egyptians. Even though they had been in Egypt land, they never adopted the camel. Amen. It was still the oxen. Amen. Give us that plain muscle bulging, amen, laboring oxen that knows how to pull the plow, and it does everything that it does and does it well. Let me tell you, in this day, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's a lot of exotic religion going around today that is sucking in people by glumps and grumps, praise the Lord. But if you're going to realize, if you're going to understand, thank God for that laboring oxen that steps to the pulpit, opens this blessed black. Back book, uh, amen, and preaches the word of God without fear and without favor. They're not stand up comedians, uh, amen. They're not in this for charismatic reasons, they're in this to save souls uh, and save people for the gospel's sake. Praise the Lord. Matter of fact, the only way I see any unclean getting into the city was because Jesus got a straddle of it and got control of it. Praise the Lord and rolled that fold of an ass into the city. Praise the Lord. And that's the only way anything's going when you get Jesus in control. When you get him a hold of the reins. Praise the Lord. But I digress. Let me get back to the oxen here. The Bible said Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, let let me clear up a common fallacy among some people. That does not mean that Elisha was plowing with one plow with 12 oxen hooked up to it. No, no. That's overkill. You hear me? (laughs) What it means is that in a field, oxen were yoked in either twos or threes. Most commonly with two and Sometimes in threes, so that would be uh, six teams of two or four teams of threes or a multi mix of whatever that was out there in that field. In other words, they were uh, like tractors do sometimes in the uh, out in West Texas and so forth, they they plow right next to each other, making the this one plowing and this one's uh, ending fur, and this one plowing, and that one's ending fur, and that's what they were doing. When Elisha was in that field, there were there was these many teams of oxen, and out of that, and Elisha was. They're pursuing his plowing behind a yoke of oxen. Praise the Lord. Now, let me, I'm saying all that to get this down to something. That the Jewish family so esteemed this oxen in their life. It meant survival for the family. It meant clothes on their children's back, shoes on their feet. It meant food in the cupboard. Praise the Lord. It meant money in the pocket. It meant their survival. Now, they esteemed it highly. Now, what the Old Testament oxen was to the Jew, the ministry is to the New Testament church. I said the ministry is to the New Testament church. Well, praise the Lord. They ought to be in esteem. Esteem them highly for what? Not for their charismatic attitude, but for their labors their works sake praise the lord make our oxen strong to labor let me just inform you people of something today even sometimes you need to realize without a strong ox in a church that church's survival is our it will die. There ought to be a church on their face praying, God, make our oxen strong to labor. Give Him health. Give Him prosperity. Even give Him vigor and vitality. may keep our oxen strong to labor. That's why you don't muzzle the ox. That's why that you don't put a muzzle on the ox that is working in this gospel. He wants to live from the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen that's all right esteem them highly what it says in first thessalonians 5 esteem them highly for their works sake and any threatening soul that somehow wants to slay and threatens your oxen Amen. he is threatening your life's survival and the survival of your children and the survival of your household. Amen. I don't know why it is that some people can sit down and listen to all kind of garbage that somebody puts out to poison their oxen in their life. Amen. They begin to try to destroy the ox in that. Let me tell you, the devil knows where your strength is. Somebody said, I can live for God all by myself. I'm sorry about that. You can't do it. How shall they hear without a preacher? Amen. God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Amen. That without the voice and the strength of an ox in your life, your children are in danger. You, again, you ought to be so thankful to come to this house. and know there is a strong part in the language, ox in the pulpit. Amen. That is not demeaning. Amen. And that is stating the fact of the priority that God puts on the ministry in the people of of God's lives uh, that they ought to understand that hey we want a strong ox Uh, we want somebody that can pull the plow and we want somebody that can go after the harvest uh, and we want somebody that will grind the corn and we want somebody amen that knows their business when it comes to popping the water amen we need a strong ox there's Safety in knowing there's a strong ox in the stall. The crib will be empty if there's not one. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. So when they threaten your ox, you need to tell some people when to get off and where to get off. Amen. I don't know about you, but I ain't drinking coffee long when somebody's going to run down my preacher. Yeah. Amen. There's an epidemic in these days of ox-slaying going on. They want they an ox steak more than they want a plow puller. These were very, very esteemed animals. Because it was associated so intricately with the survival of that family there are people that the Bible says it does in second Peter that despise governments, despise uh, dominions. they actually hate authority but I'm telling you when a when an ox pulls a plow he's got to have authority over that plow. The plow doesn't have authority over him he's got to pull that thing and when it when it begins to get tough he just just hunkers down and that's southern language forget with it. I picked up a book or something I was reading here a while back that had a list of phobias. I didn't know there was so many phobias. You know that Phobia is a deep settled emotional fear of certain things and and they had this long list and I was amazed at how many things people can be afraid of. There was monophobia, which kind of describes itself as the fear of being alone. And there's even a bibliophobia, which is a fear of books. You know everybody got that fear? I had that all the time I was going through high school. <laughs> there's pedophobia. was a the fear of kids or children. I've had that a few times. <laughs> but I have seen quite a good select number in this one. Fer- pro- I mean phobia, which means the fear of thinking. It took a few of you a little while to get it, didn't you? <laughs> Ready to think about it, wasn't you? <laughs> and then there's pentatherophobia, which is the fear of a mother-in-law. <laughs> but uh, in that list, I saw this one, which was taurophobia. It's T-A-U-R-O, not T-O-R-O. Torophobia, which is the fear of bulls or of oxen. I not, I not only have known some people that feared oxen, but despised oxen, hated oxen. There's an individual in your Bible that not only had a fear of oxen, he had a hatred for oxen. His name was Ahaz. And he was being besieged by Syria. And uh, from the very ones that were besieging him and wanting to take him into captivity, he began to seek favors from the very ones that are attacking him. Began to want to pacify them. The thing about Ahaz, you will see he never sought a prophet. He was never interested in a man of God. He had a lot of yes men he had a lot of folks that wanted just to please him. But Ahaz actually stripped the temple of God to give to the king of Assyria. He took the valuable, holy, sacred things and began to give these things to the king of Assyria, hoping to appease him, matter of fact. Uh, In 2 Kings uh, 16 and verse 8, if you'll read that for me, please. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord. Yes. And the treasures of the king's house. And the treasures of the king's house. And sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. Yes, he did. And then 16 and verse 10, this is, of course, the days of the temple in the city. The temple and the tabernacle were similar in layout, but very different in detail and in dimensions and in uh, different manners. And one of the things, as you remember, from the tabernacle was when you stepped through the gate, the only gate that came into the enclosure was that the first thing you ran into, of course, was what? The brazen altar, correct? And that is a place of repentance, of death. And uh, in 2 Kings 16 and verse 10, Ahaz, in his trips to Assyria and among the heathens, he read for me please. And the king of Ahaz went to Damascus yes. to meet Tiglath-Pilesar, king of Assyria. Yes. He saw an altar that was at Damascus. Yes, he saw this heathen altar. Yeah. And king Ahaz sent... To Uriah, the he sent to this yes man Uriah the priest the dimensions, the details and so forth and had them made and to make a long story short. What he does, he goes into the temple area and this brazen altar, this huge brazen altar that is there, he pushes it to the far side and uh, he places this uh, heathen altars and he placed them in the city just like they had done in Damascus. He begins to move repentance over to the side. That when you came in the gate, there was not the symbol of death and dying out and repentance at the very gate when you came in. We're living in a time where there's a lot of Ahaz action in the denominal and in even the so-called oneness ranks today where they're pushing the altar of repentance over to the side. Amen. They're trying to tell you that you can live for God without coming to death and repenting of your sin. Brother McKillop made it clear last night you don't get the Holy Ghost without repenting of your sin. It's repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But now they're trying to push that over the side to make it more appealing to the crowd. But let me tell you something when the appeal comes into play to what makes it appealing to you this place should be made appealing to God Almighty not to you and He still wants altar of repentance at the door when you come in it's die out to sin it's die out to wrong it's die out to adultery it's die out to all the worldliness uh, that was involved and mucked into your life you need to come clean come out and come out from among them and make a start with God and you begin that at an altar of repentance God don't let us somehow take the old time Holy Ghost altar of repentance out of our midst we still need saints at an altar praying we still need folks uh, that know how to pay people through and to pray through themselves but that's the movement is to get that altar out of the way not in six, uh, 16 and 14 that same chapter of 2nd Kings read please Yes, this is where that he moves it. From the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord. Yes, and put it over to the side. Now, now then I want you to, once he moves that. What's the next thing in sight? What's right behind the altar, raising altar? Before you get into the temple or into the tabernacle. The laver, right. Now, in the tabernacle, of course, the labor's dimensions and structure is not identified, but it was apparently not a big thing, not huge. We do not know the construct of it, but we know that it was a brazen laver made from the uh, looking glasses or the polished brass uh, mirrors of the Egyptians, changed the looking face. Of, of how I look into the real, how you look before God. And, uh, but in the temple, you've got a vast difference. Vast difference. Now, when they push the altar, raise an altar out of the way, here is this, which is called in the temple, the molten sea. It is a huge, huge, huge. Brass thing. And when Ahaz comes here, he has an intention, and we're going to get to that in just a minute in the 17th verse, but let me first describe the bowl that the water resides in. I want you to picture in your mind, I wish they had a picture of it, but if you can picture in your mind... It's not hard to look at a bowl, but look at a huge brass bowl, seven and a half foot tall, seven and a half foot deep, 15 foot across. That means it's 45 foot around it. And then made of solid Brass. That's some kind of weight. Just an empty bowl. Seven and a half foot tall. 15 foot in diameter and 45 foot around. I don't know how thick it was, but it was mighty weighty. Just by itself. But, brother, when you put 2,000 baths, which the Bible said that's what this bowl held, 2,000 baths of water. It takes six gallons to make a bath. Six gallons. That's 12,000 gallons of water. At eight pounds to a gallon, that's 96,000 pounds of 48 tons. That's just water. That ain't counting the brass. That's just 48 tons of water. Now, Now take this huge bowl, this bowl, rest, sets on 12 brazen oxen. Three north, a yoke, a yoke of three, three north, three south, three east, three west, looking north, south, east, and west. To all the world. This gospel shall be preached into all the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that name is Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. And they're all associated with, here's three oxen. They're facing north, south, east, and west. And then their shoulders and backs are together facing out. And they make a pedestal for this huge bowl that has 48 tons of just water, not counting the brass, set down on their backs. This is what's holding this exacting weight day and night. Day and night. Over 50 tons, consistent pressure, weighting down, pushing down day and night. And they stand there holding this weight. As this exacting force begins to work on them. Now, what happens is that Ahaz, in the 17th verse, he despises oxen. He despises the work of the oxen. And uh, there in the 17th verse, read for me, please. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases. That means that he took those oxen that were under them, yes? Go read. The labor from off of them. Move that labor off of it and did what? took that molten sea down off their backs and set it on a pavement of stones of his own making and there he set it and he said get them oxen out of here. Melt them down, do whatever you want, but get them out of my sight. I don't want these oxen in here. The weight that they are carrying, the responsibility that is on their back, I don't need none of that. Even I've got my own pavement stone here to put this on. Now, let me somehow try to get over to what I'm trying to get at here today. And I'm telling you, first off, I'm not here for a pity party. I'm just trying to get you to see some simple facts that sometimes people don't recognize. There is an exacting weight of this gospel. There is an exacting weight to every one God, Jesus' name, apostolic preacher that is working and laboring in the gospel to do the work of God. It is night and day, night and day. Again, I'm not trying to say, feel sorry for anybody. I'm just telling you that responsibility has weight. It has a huge weight, and it rests upon the shoulders of the man of God in your life let me again tell you that's where god put it Uh, that's where god put it i'm trying to just get you to recognize that just preaching in this pulpit is not just wearing a nice suit and a nice tie and coming up in an air-conditioned car Amen. night and day there's something bearing down on that man something bearing down in the life of that man the exacting weight of the gospel I don't care if he's in Timbuktu. Ocala's still there. Isn't that right, Buddy McKillop? You may be down here in sunny Florida, but on your shoulders right here, it's still plaster rock. Amen. You don't get away from it just because you get out of territory, do you, brother? You don't get out of it just because you're way down here in Florida, away from Idaho, but there's a weight pressing on you. Amen. People that need God, people that are sick, situation need to be the care of the house of God. Amen. And some saints just need to realize there's a weight that's exacting on a man of God that you can sometimes kind of help if you just realize, hey, this. This is a heavy, heavy, heavy thing. Hallelujah. 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 Wait, wait, wait. Now this man can go to. I mean, he blesses conferences all over the country. But I can tell you this right now: Ocala don't stay at the doorstep when he climbs on that airplane to california right there are still them folks that are right on the edge of messing up right on the edge of falling out of them new converts that just wondering if you know they're going to get enough of what they need to stick on of the souls that somehow have been invited and new converts and Amen. And, and old established saints and lives and situations that are there. It's there night and day. Again, we're not asking for a pity party here. We're just trying to like, I picked up a magazine sometime It said celebrity house houses. And I was thumbing through it. And that's a different world. You hear me? I don't live that way. No way. By the way, I didn't see none of y'all's names in it either. You would not even in there as much celebrity as you are. different world yeah. when through there you kind of see the yeah. the lifestyle a little bit and- but let me tell you something. I'm just trying to inform some of us here today that there is a lifestyle sometimes you don't understand that is real and it is acting. And again, we're not talking about pity party here. This man's not asking, amen, for God because God's the one that put that, that weight on that shoulder. Amen. He, he just wanted somebody somewhere to realize like Aaron and Ur that says, hey, roll up this huge stone and take a seat a little while and we're going to help win this battle by up the hands of the man of God I never had a synth of rhythm and and uh, couldn't carry a tune in the bucket and staying in step when I was in the army was was tough that sergeant tell that guy behind me said every time he gets out of step you see if you can kick him hard enough to make him realize where he is. <laughs> and and you'd mess up enough and they'd take you out by yourself and stand you out there. They'd, put your hands out like this. they'd take, which at that time was an M14 rifle, and they'd lay it in your hands. I forget the weight of an M14. It's not all that bad. As long as you put it down sometimes. when they put it out there and lay it across your hands like this and say, now hold it. Act like you're the Statue of Liberty and don't you even start to drop it. I don't care if that guy was 12 foot tall, had eyes of fire and teeth of stainless steel. I don't care how tall he was and how bad he was. After a while, now that M14 wasn't growing. No, it wasn't. It weighed exactly the same thing it did when He laid my hands to begin with. But every minute it went by, but it felt like it was Mount Kilimanjaro. (laughs) Yes, it did. I'm telling you, it's in my in my because what was it doing? It stayed the same, but it was drawing my reserves. It was drawing my stamina, drawing my strength, drawing from me, is exacting from me. Amen. Until like I said, I don't care how big he was and how tough he was. This rifle's going down. That's just all there was to it, praise the Lord, because it reaches a place where it's impossible for you to keep on holding up because it exacts and exacts and exacts, and it won't stop. Amen. It just keeps on exacting. If it wasn't for the strength that God gives, none of us would make it. You hear me? But because God gives strength and there needs to be a church praying, God, make our oxen strong to labor. God, make our oxen strong to pull the plow. Strong, amen, to pull that wagon. Strong to preach this. God. Most of you get caught up in praying just making your, me, your bills paid. And that's wonderful. Amen and all that. But sometimes you need to turn a, a line of prayer toward the man of God and say, God strengthen the oxen of the church. Make him strong to labor. Aaron and her begin to, they begin to catch on. They didn't catch on right at first. But a little bit of observation ought to go a long ways. Because well, this was the scenario. They're on a mountaintop. Down the valley is the Amorites and the children of Israel. They're in battle. And here's Moses with the rod up. And when this was happening, Israel progresses down the battlefield pushing the Amorites backwards. But then he lets his arms down. Amalek prevails. Tide changes. Now, Aaron and Ur are up there and they start watching Moses and watching the action on the field. They begin to correlate the two. There's a distinct correlation here between Moses' hands up and victory and his hands down. Now, since Moses put his hands down and it meant that Israelites would die, it meant that the battle was in jeopardy, it meant that loved ones may perish, you think he was playing games. Why would he why would he ever let it down to start with if it meant death and defeat? Because over it all he was still a human. He was still a man. He was still flesh and blood. And as he held that rod up that, that opened the Red Sea, that rod of God that was in his hand, it turned into a serpent. This rod of God that lifted over his head, Amen. his body, That's that rod, that man, it probably didn't weigh all that much, but it began to exact begin to sap he begin to draw the strength uh, until after a while his arms felt like they could no longer i know when they come down defeat and that uh, that the amalek will begin to prevail but i cannot help it let me tell you the amazing thing is that moses never turned around and told those guys get over here and help me even that's the amazing thing he just kept on even going through the motions uh, even until aaron and her began to catch on and they rolled up a huge Stone and set him down on it. And Aaron got on one hand and Earl on the other. The weight's still there, but they're going to help shoulder it. They're going to help hold it up. They're going to be a yoke of three on this one. Hallelujah. That's what we need, so folks, in know how to yoke together to get the gospel done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't leave him all by himself to suffer through it let me tell you when it comes down to a man having to preach about some things it's tough sometimes every man in this building ought to get on his feet every man that believes truth ought to get up and back up your man of god praise the lord They so get them oxen out from under there, I don't have no use for them. Ahaz didn't. But in the church of the living God, it's still the strength of the ox that puts corn in the crib. Yeah. Right. And I'm closing here today with a selection so familiar out of the book of Ephesians in the fourth chapter in verse 11 and verse 12. Would you read that for me, please? And he gave some apostles. And, he gave some, apostles, and some prophets. Some prophets. And some evangelists. Some evangelists. Pastors, some pastors. And teachers, and teachers. Hold it right there. For the perfecting. That's a continuation. Ongoing process. Night and day. Night and day. For the perfecting of the saints. And what? And what? What's the word? And work and the labor of the Gospel. And the labor of the Gospel. And the labor of the Gospel. I remember the elder telling me we were talking yesterday, kind enough to pick me up, we were talking about old times, and he talked about many years ago when he was... Pastor and just a little handful of folks around here. And, and uh, I remember his statement. He said, and I was working, forgot the job, he said, but I said I was working like a dog. We've got too many folks that want to ring up the calculators at tithing time. But where in God's name were you at? When there was two widow women and a man and his wife with a squeeze accordion giving their life. Laboring. Again, I'm not asking for no pity party. There's not a preacher in here that would. That's not the essence of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is some little Connection between the rod up and a rod down. That there's a man under it. A real flesh and blood man that, believe it or not, this man can catch colds. His body has, is just as susceptible to disease as anybody else. He has a family, has family situation. He had bills, got bills to pay. Man, if I pieced him hard enough, he'd... Well, he'd probably slap me, but, I ain't gonna... <laughs> but he'd say, ouch. But you sometimes forget about that, don't you? Because he steps up here with all the surety, confidence in the world. A great God we're having revival. And forget there's a night and day tonnage of responsibility yes, sir. in the man of God's life. If you'd just take a moment in your time and just sometime along the day say, God, make our oxen strong to labor. Would you stand with me, please, today? Give him strength, God. Keep him healthy. Touch his wife. Touch his family. Give him the best life has to offer. Keep him in the palm of your hand. Keep giving Him wisdom. Keep unveiling the Word of the Lord to Him that He might feed us. Pull that plow, preacher! Tug that wagon! Grind the corn. My children are healthy because there's a man that keeps on shouldering the exacting weight of the Gospel.